Hey everyone, my OT for Life family, I am so excited to have you guys back for another episode and I am bringing on Elizabeth de Blasi, an occupational therapist from New York and Elizabeth is just one of the most inspirational and motivational people that I have ever met. She's also extremely busy and up to so many different things from working in pediatrics. She also teaches at Long Island University in the occupational therapy department and has many interests in yoga and meditation as well as dance and also is really big into international volunteer work. And so I'm really excited to share our chat today. Get ready to be inspired. If you're interested in occupational therapy, this is the place for you. This show aims to explore our profession by sharing who we are and what we do. Because for us, occupational therapy is more than just a job. Hi, I'm Sarah. Welcome to OT for Life. So how are you today? I am good. I'm good. I have. We, we were in Kenya last week, so I feel like I'm just like, ugh, it's just been so emotional since coming back. But also, I am just in the middle of so many freaking things that, I mean, I'm sure you understand, but it's like I am working four jobs right now. Wow. <laughs> so it's just been really crazy. But, you know, when you experience something like that and you come back, and you have this like changed perspective on so many things, you know, it's like I came back to my school and I was like, uh, mm-hmm. I know the feeling in everything that you just said. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I understand that I myself have been super, super busy. And then also going and being exposed to uh, a different culture and a different country and volunteering your time and all of that. And when you come back, nothing's the same. Yeah. It's true. But like that being said, I'm so happy with the, you know, that we had the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm going to try to put it into words. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, it's hard to even like wrap your brain around, you know. It really is. Yeah. I, I hear you. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't had I the know. time that I want to, to like to devote to I it. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so sad. I know. Right. Time. Yeah. Time is not <laughs> not on our side right now. Nope. <laughs> There's so much going on. And I'm sure you're like super crazy busy closing up the end of the year with work and all of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's been so insane. Yeah. Now, are you off? Um, I will be next week, which I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to do everything I need to do before that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, join the club. <laughs> Sometimes I take a step back and look at my life and I'm like, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like we all tend to be that way. It's funny. Yeah. It's like, I, I always reflect back to my life like 10 years ago and I'm like, oh, I had it so easy back then. Right? But at that point I was like, I'm so stressed. I can't do it all. I know. And meanwhile, I, but I kept thinking the same thing when I, I remember being in grad school and being like, how do I do all of this? I was belly dancing professionally when I was in grad school, which was like insane. But I'm like, how did I, this is what I do though. I'd like squeeze way too many things into a short amount of time and I'm good at it, but it's exhausting, you know? Is that like a, like a precursor for being an OT? Cause I feel like that's I know. <laughs> I feel like every do. single OT that I talk to is like that. You're right. Yeah. Me and Lauren always joke about that. She's like, oh, what, what job number are you on right now? I'm like four. 
in one day. In one day? Oh, yeah. Wait yes. a second. Okay, you, you got to tell me about that. Yes. So, I mean, I work at a school. Okay. I also do evaluations for EI, which I've told them I need, like, I always try to tell them that I need to drop down, but I have such a good relationship with all these agencies. So they keep giving them to me Mm -hmm. and I write the reports super quickly and they know I'm reliable and they like my reports. So they just like keep giving them to me and I'm like, great. And it's hard to say no because it's per diem. And you're like, yeah, sure. I could use that money, but it drives me crazy. Um, Then I'm also an adjunct professor at LIU. So I teach two nights a week, two like evening afternoons. And then Therapist Without Borders has been so much work. And that's the only thing I don't get paid to do right now. But yeah, this fall has been new levels of insane for me. Yeah. Uh, everything you're saying, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and you you will do all four of these in one day? Yes. And every day? Or do you tend to like, I guess you said you only teach two days a week, so. Yeah, but then there's a lot of like grading papers or answering emails. So yeah, I would say more often than not, I'm doing, I've been doing all four every day. So then how, like, how does it work then? Because I know that you travel on a regular basis. So do you just, I mean, you just like kind of get it all done and then take time off? Or are you doing some of your work on the road? Well, yeah, the nice thing is I have a school schedule. So I have summers off, I have all the school holidays. So yeah, it's really nice that I'm able to have time to travel so much. But also, I would go crazy if I didn't because I have such a passion for it. So it's really just like finding the balance. A lot of times it's like, okay, should I, I have this week off, you know, like, should I, even now with New Year's, I'm, I'm thinking like with the holidays, it's like, oh, should I stay home and just relax for a minute and just wrap my brain around all my responsibilities? Or do I want to just keep going and jump on a plane somewhere? And it's just I love traveling so much that, you know, it's like, I guess you can say I work hard, and then I play hard. <laughs> That's like the best way to describe it. Like I find the time, you know, right, you, you just you make it work. I make it work, but it's crazy. I like that you just said that it's like finding the balance because I've realized with like all of my travels that it's almost like I work so hard leading up to it and I'm continuing to work while I'm gone because I'm either volunteering or still running my business and getting stuff that's happening here. And then when I get back, it's doing makeups and it's catching up on emails and all the reports and everything that I missed since I've been gone. Right, right, exactly. I'm regularly like at an airport with my laptop you know, like finishing a report that I didn't finish yet or doing documentation for my little ones. It's like I'm constantly, even though I'm traveling and trying to detach from my phone and my computer, it's hard. You know, it it's tough. It's like I, I'm stretched thin, but it's all things that I enjoy doing. And now you just got back from Kenya. Is that right? Yes. And how was that? Oh, life changing. Maybe that sounds cheesy or cliche, but really it was. It was really an amazing experience. I can't say enough. Had you been before? No, I had only been to South Africa for WFOT, which is where we met, obviously. (laughs) Um, And no, I had never been to Kenya before. And it was a really, a very eye-opening experience. I think it's pretty crazy that you got to go to Cape Town just this past May and 
what, six months later, you had to go back to Africa? (laughs) Yeah, life has been a whirlwind. Yeah, I honestly, I thought you got back like yesterday. I'm like, is she going to be over her jet lag? Is she going to be okay for this recording? (laughs) It's funny because I was sort of posting things on Instagram late because a lot of times we had spotty electricity or spotty Wi-Fi. Plus, it's like, I don't want to be attached to my phone the whole time, you know, Um, but it's hard to balance that with doing like your online presence, too. I was posting things sort of later. And I it's funny, I just saw a group of friends this past weekend, and they were like, you're here. (laughs) I thought you were on the safari, like, just because I had posted that on my Instagram. And it just became a running joke. I was like, sorry, guys, I guess it's a later gram. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't have time. My pictures are so incredible. And my videos are so incredible. It's like, there's so many that who has the time to be posting all of it all the time. Exactly. Especially when you're like exhausted from traveling and like sightseeing and and volunteering and doing everything when you're traveling. All you want to do is just go to bed when you get home. (laughs) Yes. And then you have to catch up on your four jobs. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, look at these amazing pictures I took, by the way. Uh Uh-huh. You're like, eh, that was like a year ago, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. No big deal. I took this trip a year ago. Yeah, we'll just we'll throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> just pretend. But it's nice because people are always like, they associate me with the person always traveling. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, am I that girl? You know, but it's kind of cool because I'm like, oh, I guess I am. Like, I know I do travel a lot. And I do. I'm fortunate for that I'm able to so much, but also like the pictures that I take. And I love the pictures more just to remember the experiences, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so funny because when you talk, I'm like, yep, that's me too. Like all, like my friends are like, are you home? Like, we don't, we don't even know anymore. Are you, are you here? Are you traveling? Where, where in the world are you right now? <laughs> I know, right? It's always those jokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing while you were in Kenya? Because I know you were there. Uh, as part of the Therapists Without Borders, would you call it like, um, not really scouting, but you were you were working, you were going to kind of get prepared for the first, for their first trip, right? Yeah. So it was really to sort of pilot what we're doing. It was really to introduce to them what our goal is and what we really want to be doing with them. And so we were able to meet with people that are already working there. So the orphanage is Compassionate Hands for the Disabled Foundation. And it's in Ruai, which is sort of like a suburb of Nairobi. And so they have about 93 or 94 children with disabilities. And they've been operating as an orphanage for a while. And Lauren, the founder of Therapists Without Borders, had done a volunteer experience with them before. So she already had a good relationship with them, which was really nice. And we were able to go and just introduce to them, you know, a lot of the documentation that we want to be doing. Talk to them about really what our expectations are. Uh, Talk to them about how we will be sending volunteers to them. And so the plan is sending OTs, PTs, and speech therapists and students to the orphanage on a rotating basis. It was amazing. They were very receptive to it. And it was kind of crazy to, you know, be in our respective states as part of the organization, and to be working so hard on what we want to be doing and, you know, all the documentation forms and everything, and then actually going and being able to put it into play, 
you know, to really go and, and show them this is what we would like for you to do. This is the documentation that we have. This is how we're actually going to work together remotely and on site to really create something more sustainable for these children. And I feel like you guys have been working on this for a while now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Yeah, it all it all started for me with WFOT, which was in May. And it's interesting because I found Lauren on Instagram through a friend of mine from grad school. You know, this friend knows me well. I had been talking to her about how much I love traveling, my passion for OT and what I do, uh, my passion for caregiver training and sustainability and all of that. And, you know, she reached out to me and was like, you should check out this person on Instagram. Um, Right. And it's like social media. And it just became this incredible opportunity for me. Um, But so I found Lauren, I saw what she was doing. I really loved it. It's very in line with what I want to be doing. And just, you know, the mutual passion that we have is really amazing. So I had reached out to her, we went back and forth. She told me about how she was going to have a booth at WFOT. And I was like, no, I can't do that right now. Book a flight to South Africa in two weeks, mind you. No way. I was, I was going to ask, like, give us a timeline of when this was. So this was sort of in May, right? Because the conference was end of May, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes. And I had had a huge dance show that I was performing in the week before. I was crazy working as usual. <laughs> and I just, there were so many things. I was so busy. I was like, I can't afford this. I can't make this happen. It's just too much. And for some reason, I couldn't get out of my head. I just really loved the idea of the organization so much. And I kind of went into it blind, not really knowing what to expect. But I got out of my bed at 1 a.m. one morning and just checked flights for Cape Town. Never been to Africa before, but it was really exciting. I just booked the flight, like really with very little thought. And I left two weeks later. So it was almost kind of like a calling, if that makes sense. I sort of just felt I need to go. You just knew it. Yeah, exactly right. I literally just got chills. Like that is <laughs> so, that's such a cool story. And I know we chatted for a while at Woofit, but I don't think what you just said actually came up in our conversation because that's nuts. I I had been planning to go to the World Federation of Occupational uh, Therapists Conference for months. I had it, I mean, probably even a couple of years. Like, I think I found out about it right after the last one. And so when I found out about the one in Cape Town, I'm like, all right, I'm marking my calendar. And I can't even imagine finding out about it and being like, yeah, I'm going and getting the time off getting the flights, getting everything else that you need and showing up within two weeks. Yeah, somehow I did that. It was crazy. But I, it just was this nagging feeling that I needed to be there. And yeah, I mean, I'm happy I went. It was, it was amazing. First of all, meeting therapists from all over the world was just, I don't know if you felt the same way, just an incredible feeling. Oh, it was it was so just like overwhelmingly amazing. It's hard to just put it into words unless you were there because I, I remember just walking through the halls and going and sitting in the presentations or the posters and just being completely overcome with emotion and being surrounded by so many 
OTs and and students from everywhere. Just brilliant people doing brilliant research, you know, cultural differences, just stuff that really is so interesting to me. I think it's really easy for, I was going to say for us, but for anybody to get kind of, I want to say isolated. You just, you get wrapped up into what you're comfortable with, where, where you work, where you live, what you're exposed to and going somewhere else, especially when it's a different country and you're surrounded by other people that are coming from all different parts of the world. It just, it's really eye-opening and just a really cool experience to just kind of share that with so many other like-minded individuals from everywhere. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. That's, that's exactly how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Okay. So you, you went, you were in Cape Town for how long were you there? Um, I think about a week. So you were pretty much there just for the conference. Yeah. You know, it's like you're flying so far. You want to get to see things. It's a new, a new country, a new continent for me. So yeah, we, we took some time during the weekend, I believe it was to, but it was like shotgun, do everything cool there is to do in Cape Town, you know, Table Mountain and a safari. And we rented a car. um, And it's, you know, we went to some of those, the beaches with the penguins. And it was exhausting, because it was crazy. It was just sort of, where am I? What am I doing? Like, have to see all these cool things. I mean, our focus really was the conference and it was crazy. We had so many people that came over to the booth and had so many questions. And it was an amazing thing to see how many people really expressed interest in what we're doing. And so it was overwhelming, but in a good way. And we got to travel a little bit over the weekend. I wish I could have stayed longer, but we had to get back for work. But Cape Town was just beautiful. Oh, I loved Cape Town. Yeah, I, I wish I could have stayed longer and seen more things and not been so busy. But um, it really was an amazing trip and just an amazing opportunity. And yeah, just sort of being surrounded by OTs everywhere. And again, like I said, you know, brilliant people doing brilliant work is just really inspiring. And I feel like it must have been a really interesting experience for you to not really have planned to go and just kind of thrown it all together and then just shown up and you're literally like processing it like as you're there of like what's this organization about what like what's my role going to be exactly how is this going to change my life moving forward basically exactly all i knew was that i believed in it when i got on the plane and i really didn't know anything else so it's been an awesome learning experience too for me And it's just, it's exciting, you know, it's really to do the work that I want to be doing to do what feels like my life dream. I always say like, oh, I'm just pinching myself over here because I can't believe it. But yeah, I really didn't know much when I got there. And so I was sort of thrown into it and just learned everything. And I've been learning ever since. And it's just been really exciting. Yeah, it's it's almost like from what it sounds like is that basically this organization has kind of helped you intertwine everything that you're passionate about. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's how I feel about it. And, you know, traveling, being able to do the educational piece of it where, you know, really creating something sustainable, which I believe in so much. And I've struggled with that in my practice in New York. And I've been a therapist for 10 years. And this has been 
it's just been so many years of me getting frustrated by lack of follow through for caregivers and parents. And, you know, a lot of times we have kids on our caseload, right? And the parents are just kind of like, okay, here, fix my kid. The magic wand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm like, I wish I could do that, but I don't have magic powers. And, you know, a lot of times it's not their fault. I understand being a parent is stressful. I understand, you know, having a child with a disability is stressful. But really, the whole theory of working together as a team, parents, caregivers, therapists, and it's just sort of been my biggest issue in therapy. And yeah, this has really given me the opportunity to address that and to actually develop a program and train caregivers and say, this is what we're doing in therapy and asking that they follow through and asking that they work with us and asking that they document goal progress. And yeah, it's been the thing that's helped me almost to feel more inspired by my own work, if that makes sense. Yes, <laughs> definitely. It's it's interesting because you said that you've been practicing for 10 years and I I will be 10 years next year. And it's kind of that same thing where a lot of what we deal with can be very frustrating. And whether it's coming from the parents or whether it's coming from the healthcare system or some sort of limitations of what we can do here, or just productivity standards and keeping up with the workload. It's just, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like right around that 10 year point is where everything just kind of starts to come together of like, okay, I like this aspect and I like this, but I want something that can make it make it all make sense. Right. 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 And combining the international piece with it, too. For me, Therapist Without Borders really was that where it was combining all the things that I'm passionate about together. And I'm always telling parents of the children that I work with that they are the most important person, that they're the most important piece of the puzzle. And I tell them, you don't know how a child's going to respond to therapy all the time. There's individual differences. But that 100% of my children that have been on my caseload in my OT life have made progress, no matter how much progress, but they've made progress when their parents have been very involved in the therapeutic process. It's so important. I feel like when we go in as an occupational therapist and we work with a child, we can do good work. But when you get that parent involvement, all of a sudden it's like exponential of the progress and the the change that we can see with them. And I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, like when you walk in, you go in one week, you say, okay, mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, hey, you like you guys, these are some things you should work on. And when you come back that next week, within seconds of being with the kid, you know, if they did your homework or not. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it's like you see right through it. Yeah, it's just it's so important. And also, it's, you know, when I give them that speech, it it empowers them too. you know, a lot of times they're feeling helpless, they're feeling like, I have this child with all of these issues. And they're always getting trouble in school, or they have these behavior problems in public, and it's a nightmare. And a lot of times they do feel very out of control. And telling them, hey, I'm here. Yes, I'm your therapist, but I'm here to work with you and look at how much power you can actually have over the situation and look at how much you can actually help your child. I'm just giving you the tools, right? Like I have the knowledge, I'm giving you the tools, but 
you really are the person that can make a huge difference. And, you know, their faces kind of light up when you give them that, that hope in a way. It's really empowering for parents. And I believe in that. I think it's so important. Completely. And even to the point of just telling them or letting them know that what they're doing is right. I feel like so many times the parents are like, I just, I don't know what to do. And I tried this and I don't even know if it's the right thing to do. And it's like, you're doing a great job. Like, keep yes. going. You got this. <laughs> and just being their support system and being their cheerleader of like, okay, this is what, this is what you're going to do. What you're doing is great. And I'm going to give you a couple more strategies and you'll be good to go. You got this. And it does. It makes such a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, have you always been in pediatrics? Yes. I have always been with the little ones. Um, yeah, but I actually I am in academia now. I started teaching four years ago. I teach at LIU, Long Island University, which is in Brooklyn, and I teach a pediatrics uh, occupation course. And I am blown away by how much I actually love to teach. I really have a great connection with my students. You know, the first day I walked into class, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about, right? But it's a little bit nerve wracking. And I walked in and within maybe five minutes of teaching, it just lights me up like a firecracker. I absolutely love teaching. And I love feeling like, you know, I can give something back. I can give something to my students. And I remember professors that I had a good connection with in grad school. And you know, you're stressed, you're doubting yourself sometimes, you're studying, you're tired, all of that. And I remember the professors that really stood out to me, that really connected with me. And I hope to be that for my students. And I really just am very passionate about teaching. And before I started teaching, I was sort of, I, I love my job, but I, and I love my career, but I sort of was having that itch, like the now what I need to do something. I need to shake it up a little bit, but what do I really want to do? Uh, and I never would have thought academia. And I'm so happy that I made the decision to teach. And I'm so happy that I was given the opportunity. And I feel that my teaching skills have just gotten stronger and stronger, the more I do it, and the more I have experience with it. And it's a learning curve like anything else, but I really love it. And I think I have a great connection with my students. And I've told them, I remember in my graduate program, the professors that said to me, you know, when you graduate, we'll be colleagues. And that always stuck out in my mind. And I tell my students that now because it's true. It's like we have this amazing little therapy world that we're part of. Mm -hmm. OTs, PTs, speech therapists. It's just this, it's something that just joins us all together in that no matter what practice area we're in, no matter what clients we have, we just all have this similar passion and it's nice. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so inspired by what you're saying because I've never actually been in academia. I've, I've never taught at that level before, but I do take students of my own as a clinical supervisor. And so I get a little bit of the teaching capacity, teaching role and I love what you said that your professors said uh, about 
like basically becoming colleagues because when my students are done with me, I always try to stay in touch with them. I will usually have like a little get together a couple times a year and I invite all of my previous students. And really, it's like we're all friends. We're all therapists now. And I love being a continued part of their life and not just the three months or a couple weeks that we were together that I was their fieldwork educator. And yeah, you just you never know. Like now one of my students from like two years ago is getting some reports for kiddos that she's working with that I conducted. And it's like the craziest thing. And it's such a cool experience. Yeah, it's like a small therapy world. Yeah. <laughs> and and just I guess just the response too that I get from my students really, I'll be honest, it makes me cry sometimes like they will send me emails about how much I've affected them. Or I've had a few of them tell me that they chose pediatrics because of me which is just, wow, mind-blowing, you know, just to feel that you can influence people that much is really an amazing feeling. And I'm sure it's just because they can feel the passion and all of that inspiration and motivation that you convey in, in as you're teaching and in the courses that they're like, wow, yeah, no, this is this sounds like an awesome practice area to go into. And you probably even got some people that were not really even looking into pediatrics and you were able to get them to say, yep, that's where I want to go. It's funny. I joke with them first day of class all the time, every semester, you know, I take a poll who's into pediatrics and I tell them all that I'm going to convert them by the end of the semester. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I actually have successfully converted a few. So that's a cool feeling. Fascinating to watch that development go. And they always tell me, you know, because sometimes the material you're learning about, it's necessary, but can be boring or can be challenging or can be just sort of rote. And they are always telling me and I can see their faces light up when I give real clinical examples, when I apply the information to a real life situation or to a child that's been on my caseload. And you see how that's really how the information sinks in. And, you know, it's the theory that they, you're right, you know, they can see the passion that I have, I think. You can forget what somebody tells you, but you'll never forget how somebody makes you feel. And I just think when you have that connection, and when you are passionate about what you're doing, that they're not just sitting in a classroom bored, they're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, they're seeing that I am a therapist, I've been a therapist for 10 years, and I still love what I do. And I still have so much passion for what I do. Yeah, and I think that's so, especially in this day and age in society, I feel like so many people, so many practitioners, healthcare and OTs alike are burnt out and tired and stressed and everything. And it's frustrating to be that student that's coming in that has the passion that they want to do, they want to change the world. And then they see what the practitioners are doing, and they're just miserable. Right. So I'm sure it's just so cool for them to still be able to see that coming from a professor that is still doing clinical work and is just still so involved and motivated through the profession. Yeah. And I see it on their faces when I tell them stories. And it was actually one of my students that said to me one day after class, you should write a book about all of your experiences. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, me? No, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, let me add that to my list of things to do because I'm already so crazy busy. In your your free time. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And so I love writing. I've always loved writing. But that was another, I think it was... 3am I got out of my bed 
<laughs> and decided, oh, I, you know, I am. I'm going to start outlining this book. I'm going to write a book. And it really came from seeing the response that my students had to a lot of my stories and saying like, hey, you should write this down and you'll inspire people. So it's it's interesting because that actually came from one of my students. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. And I'm I'm starting to realize a theme here. When you get out of bed in the middle of the night, <laughs> you're, you're on to something. <laughs> Things happen. That's when I'm like making some good moves. Yeah. So when, yeah. when, when did that conversation happen? And when, when did you get out of bed this time? <laughs> um, that was last fall semester. So about a year ago. And again, in line with the way I feel about consistency and parents following through with therapeutic strategies and modalities. And in my mind, I said, well, what if I wrote the book for the frustrated parent who doesn't know what to do or feels hopeless? But it was really through my stories, which I could see how they affected my students. And I just had started outlining it where each chapter is addressing a specific issue, but it's starting with, here's my story, this real life story of something that happened in therapy, you know, either in my office or in a child's home when I was doing therapy. And this is something that I saw and something that I experienced and using real life examples to then go on and make make a point about what that chapter is addressing. Honestly, it, it feels like what you were just talking about with your students of giving them real life examples. Now you're just flipping it and gearing it towards the parents. And it's like, this is what I've gone through. And this is what I've dealt with. But it also shows the parents like, hey, uh, another parent has gone through this situation. Like, you're not the only one. Exactly. And I mean, I could write a book, I could lecture, I can just spew all the information I know, all the things that I've learned, all the experience that I have, you know, but that's not really what connects with people. It's experiences. It's like, let's get real for a minute, you know, mm -hmm. let's really talk about this for real, as opposed to just saying X, Y, Z, like, you know, just spewing the knowledge. It's really connecting with people and identifying with people and really just saying, you're not on an island by yourself and taking real life experiences and applying them. So do you have, do you have a timeline for this book? I, I think you mentioned that you're in the beginning stages of it. So I'm hoping this spring that I can work on the book a little bit more. It's been a challenge because I have been stretched thin with my other responsibilities and three other jobs while working on everything for Therapists Without Borders. All, all good things, and but just kind of stressful with time management. So I've put the book on hold a little bit recently, but I am hoping to write more this spring and summer. I don't have a timeline for when it will be finished, but I would like to make one for myself in the new year and try to stick to it. So, you know, hopefully I write pretty fast and I love writing. I'm very passionate about it. So it's just about managing the time and sitting down and focusing on it. So if all goes well, <laughs> hopefully within a year. That's so cool. I, yeah. I'm, I'm so inspired. I, I know I already said that, but I'm like, oh my goodness, like that's, that's so cool. And I, I feel like other people are going to listen to this and be like, holy crap, like she's got a lot on her plate, but she's, she's getting it done. Yeah, I certainly have a lot on my plate. I do a lot, but I think it's, 
when you have the passion and when you don't feel like you're doing things because you have to. With Therapists Without Borders, I some days, I'm not going to lie, I'm working from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. It's nonprofit, Therapists Without Borders. I, you know, it's just, it's not a source of income right now, but it's like I could do that work for hours because I'm so passionate about it. And yeah, so I'm busy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of things. But I feel like it's like everything that you're doing takes so much time, but you make the time because it's important for you. Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think it's important to make time when you're passionate about something. Yeah. Because then that will that will even make you feel better when you are doing things that maybe you're not quite as passionate about. And it kind of gives you that push to keep going and go through challenging times and times that are busier and more stressful. Yes. And yoga <laughs> and yes. meditation and dance for me. And those are all things that are really important to me. And I don't think I'd be so um, <laughs> mentally and emotionally healthy if I didn't have those things. But yeah, it's a really big stress relief for me to be able to take the time to do things that I love outside of work. So do you incorporate any of the yoga and dance and meditation into your OT work? Yes, absolutely. I think that's really important. You know, a lot of our little ones, their systems are just bombarded all day with all the sensory information. Uh, and it's the mind-body connection that they don't have a lot of times. I think typically developing children, a lot of them, but even also children with disabilities and developmental delays, you know, they just, they struggle with the mind-body connection, even just breathing. You know, I will take children in my school into my office and just do breathing exercises with them and shut the lights off. And I have this little orb light that I use that just sort of calms them down and I'll roll out yoga mats. And I do, depending on what their level is, cognitively, physically, I try to do a lot of basic yoga with them. But a lot of it just having to do with mindfulness and calming down, you know, they're overstimulated all day long. And it's very difficult for them. And it's funny, because since I started doing it, and I was like, hey, you know, I love how yoga makes me feel. Uh, why would this not apply to them? And since I started doing it, it's adorable. They actually are craving it. Like they'll see me in the hallway and, and say, oh, when are we going to do yoga? So it, it's nice because they've made a connection with the fact that it actually makes them feel good to just calm down and breathe and connect to their bodies in ways that they don't, they're not used to doing all day long. Um, and dance for sure. I mean, I, I've been a dancer my whole life. I started dancing at four years old. Um, I still dance. And for me, I know, obviously, it's something I'm passionate about, but I know how good it makes me feel to be able to dance and have some sort of outlet, not to mention the physical benefits of it. And I also will incorporate dance in my therapy sessions with some of my kids, and they just love that too. Usually more arousing than calming. <laughs> You dance first and then do the yoga. <laughs> exactly. That's the exact order I do it in, actually. <laughs> but it gives them excitement. It gives them something to like feel happy about. It's not just, you know, sitting at a desk all day um, or, you know, come into the therapy room and let's just like work on things in a way that feels sort of boring. You know, they're they're children. They they need the excitement. They need to move their bodies. They need to, you know, feel that 
connection to their muscles and their bones and all of that in ways that they're not used to really having people even talk to them about. So it's nice that I can give that to them. It's really like kind of instilling this presence of just having them be present in that moment, in that time period in their life. And I feel like in today's internet and technology society, where they're just constantly bombarded with advertising and devices and all of this kind of stuff, where a lot of times you're just either sitting and watching TV or you're working on the computer or playing on a tablet or a phone, getting the time to, and I love what you just said about moving their body and making the connections to the muscles and the joints and just that whole, the whole understanding and perception of your body moving in space whether it is through dance or through the yoga positioning. Yeah, absolutely. And you just, you see how much they actually respond to it. And it's nice, just even just breathing. It's like, when was the last time somebody just told them to take three deep breaths, you know, and the connection between how that calms them down, but also on a physiological level, you know, it really is being able to breathe is just relaxing muscle tension and just calming down all of the systems of the body and how much they don't even think about it. You know, like they're never told or rarely told, just take a deep breath sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. But so it's, it's nice to see how they actually respond to it. And it's interesting how challenging it actually is for a lot of them. And I love sort of being the one to introduce it to them and watch how they how it gets easier for them after time and how they enjoy it more. I, yes, (laughs) I feel like I'm one of those people too, that even just as you were talking about breathing, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I should take some deep breaths here. Okay, hold on. (laughs) And I start breathing and I'm like, oh, I feel better already. And so, I I mean, not even just for kids. I, I definitely get benefit out of doing yoga and I used to do it a lot and I stopped for a while, of course, probably because I got too busy or I had some excuse. And I've done it just a couple times over the last maybe even like two weeks. And even if I just do 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes, I'm I'm just a different person at the end of that. Where I'm like, okay, I can get back to my work. I can get back to my stress and to-do list. And just, I feel so much better after just a brief little experience of yoga. Oh, definitely. I think we tend to all forget to prioritize ourselves sometimes, you know, we're so busy with so many things and, you know, doing great things. But when do we stop and say, Oh, I need a little bit of me time or a little bit of self care. And even if I'm pretty good at, you know, yoga classes, dance, it's a big part of my life, I do it very often. But when there's days that it's physically impossible because of my schedule, I will at least take the time to meditate to even just taking three deep breaths, which is like, come on, like, you have to have time to do that, you know? (laughs) You think, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just making yourself do it and making that's why they call it a practice, because it really is making it a practice. But it just it recenters me, it grounds me. And knowing like what it does for me, it's really nice to be able to share that with my children that feel so not grounded most of the day. So before we started recording, um, you mentioned that you did a yoga retreat and a silent retreat. And 
I am so curious. I want to, I want to hear more about that. And then I know there was another portion of some volunteer work that you did on that same trip. Yes. So I got on a plane by myself and went to Thailand for four weeks. Um, I'm clearly very passionate about traveling, but that trip for me really was life-changing. Traveling by yourself to a country so far, so foreign was just an experience in itself, but uh, it was really a great way for me to connect with myself in a lot of different ways. And a big part of that, I did a yoga retreat there, um, which was really nice. I mean, it doesn't hurt that it was on a beautiful beach, obviously, um, but it was a really great yoga retreat. And I did that for a week. And the other experience that really was so amazing and truly just shifted my life was a meditation retreat that I did. And so it's in Chiang Mai in Thailand. So it's a mountain town. The grounds are beautiful, beautiful Buddhas everywhere, but it is two full days of total silence, which is crazy, but was really amazing. You show up, you put on white clothes, and you're taught by Buddhist monks how to meditate in the various different ways that they meditate. Um, so it's like sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, laying meditation, and they teach you about Buddhism also, which is amazing because it's, I learned a lot that I didn't know, but just the experience of being there and speaking of mindfulness and just sort of being alone with your own thoughts because there's no screen time. You're not even having conversations with other people. So it's a really amazing, amazing experience to just be at home in your own mind with your own thoughts and just practicing meditation. And it really was just an incredible experience. I don't even know like what to think of that. I've heard other people tell stories about going on retreats like that. And some of them have been like months long. And I just sit there and I'm like, that is, that is so crazy. I can't, I can't even remember the last time I went through like a day without talking. <laughs> like an hour, yeah. Maybe. Well, I give those people credit. Two days was a lot, you know, even within a few hours, it was like, whoa, this is real. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's tough. But it's really, it was incredible. I, it really was. I, I just feel like this ties right back into when you were talking about the kids and you going through that and then kind of knowing and understanding your own processes of like what's happening. And then all of a sudden, when you're helping the kids go through some sort of like meditative yoga, very calming activity, I'm sure you can almost start to see what you went through. You almost see it in the kids. Yeah, absolutely. On a smaller and scale. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a smaller scale. Um, but that's absolutely right. Yeah, just sort of teaching them, you know, can we get our faces out of the screens? Can we just center within ourselves a little bit? And can we just process what our own thoughts are sometimes because we don't even take the time to do that? Mm -hmm. What do you feel like your biggest takeaway was from doing either the yoga or the meditation retreat? Um, I think my biggest takeaway was from the meditation retreat. And I guess it's going to sound a little hippy dippy, but hey, I'm kind of hippy. <laughs> um, just knowing that you have the power inside of yourself that it's not about conversations with other people. It's not about the screen time. It's the power inside of yourself to really 
process things that you're going through or to really find answers to your internal questions or even just to take time with yourself and how much I know I have struggled with that because I'm so busy and because I'm always running, always doing a million things and just taking the time to, you know, look inside and say, hey, how do I feel about these things? Or what are the right decisions for me in life? Or how did I feel about this situation that happened? And how much we don't do that because we're so distracted by external things. So something as simple as taking away phones, TVs, and even speaking to other humans, how that just forces you to go internal. And it just was an incredible way to sort of get in touch with myself and center within myself. I could only imagine. What a crazy, like really cool experience. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was challenging, but everyone should do it. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm almost like, I think you're convincing me because I've, I've thought about it before and I just never thought that I could do it. But <laughs> I'll share the info with you. You totally should. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, it's in Chiang Mai and the mountains in Thailand. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's stunning. I haven't done Thailand yet. It's completely 100% on the list. So I think maybe if I, or I shouldn't say maybe, when I get there. Yes, when you get there. I'll, I'll need those details from you. <laughs> uh, I'll share it all with you for sure. And so I know that you've done some volunteer work with uh, within some of the travels that you've done so far. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I have loved the volunteer experiences that I've done. Um, you know, I really believe that happiness is a currency, <laughs> um, that, you know, I, I feel happy to be able to give back, to be able to help people. And it's not always about collecting a paycheck. And so I did a volunteer experience at an elephant sanctuary in Thailand, which was also part of that trip, which was just incredible. Um, they were all rescue elephants and I got to hike through the mountains with them and feed them and give them a bath, which was incredible, just covered in mud with three elephants and really rehabbing them and really giving them a lot of love and care that they don't usually receive. So that was a really amazing experience for me. And then I also did a volunteer experience in Greece with the Syrian refugees, which, you know, it's interesting, a lot of what brought me to Therapists Without Borders was the frustration of not being able to volunteer in the way that I wanted to in that, you know, there are some organizations that are scams or some organizations that are charging so much money to volunteers. And, you know, for me, I've been wanting to do international therapy and you would think it would be easier, but it's, it's a challenge to be able to find legitimate organizations that, you know, are not going to break the bank and you can actually go and use your skills as a therapist and also travel and be able to do therapy overseas, um, whether on a paid basis or a volunteer basis. And I actually, I actually encountered one of those scams, unfortunately, uh, with the volunteer experience that I did in Greece. I had found an organization online that 
promised to coordinate volunteers in Greece. So they're, you know, give us your flight information and we'll pick you up at the airport and then we'll take you to a camp where you will be volunteering with the Syrian refugees. And what happened is we ended up getting there and I showed up ready to go, you know, enthusiastic to be volunteering. And it ended up sort of being a scam where this quote unquote organization really claiming to be a liaison between volunteers and the camps and the sites in need was not really a legitimate organization. Um, So that was frustrating, of course. And (laughs) yeah, but so I actually ended up spending two days sort of going back and forth with this, you know, supposed volunteer coordinator about, you know, here I am, what can I do? I want to help. And so the island where I was in Greece, it's a small island that called Lesbos, and it is sort of the first point of contact for a lot of the refugees coming over on rafts. And so volunteers were there really assisting people when they come off the rafts, you know, giving them food, giving them shoes, giving them clothes, giving them water. They've been traveling, you know, from Syria up through Turkey where they're being persecuted and then coming over to Greece to cross over into Europe and find homes. And it's crazy because these people were really normal people, you know, like you or I or, you know, successful business people and just people with families and homes and they were forced out of their lives and being persecuted. And, you know, so the whole idea of helping them really was why I went, obviously. And I ended up at a camp where I kind of just (laughs) pushed my way in, uh, realizing that the other, you know, quote unquote organization was a scam. I went into a camp and said, I'm here, let me help. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this happen somehow. Right. You woke up in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. Knocked on their door. I'm here. <laughs> You're catching the theme now. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just, I sort of showed up and was like, here I am. Let me help. And it actually, it was interesting. I ended up doing more eco work, which I didn't know I would do. Um you know, I'm a people person, I wanted to work with the people, I'm a therapist, I'm a healer on a lot of levels, you know, I just wanted to do the work with the people. But you know, it was hard to really find the people to do the work with because of this whole scam organization. So this camp was legitimate, though. And they were sort of a first base for as the refugees were coming off of the rafts, really in sad shape, just meeting their basic needs. And with that, we also did some eco work because people don't see this side of it where they were coming over with rafts and life jackets and all of that, all of those materials are just littering the beaches for miles. And a country like Greece and those islands that rely on tourism and, you know, what the media portrays and how much it actually hurt their economy because the beaches were a disaster. So, you know, what tourists wants to go spend their summer in Greece on a beach when there's life rafts everywhere. And it's not like the boats are going back or the life rafts are going back where they came from. Like they just, they just stay there. Right. Exactly. And so a lot of it was, we ended up doing some beach cleanup, which I never knew I was signing up for that, but I was like, Hey, I'm here. Let me help. You know? Um, but it was interesting. It, it was like cutting up life rafts and just seeing a lot of it was sad. You know, there's a lot of personal items that you find, 
um, you know, shoes, clothes, people were separated from their families. So it's a, it was a really sobering experience. Um, so I helped in any way that I could. And it's interesting, I ended up meeting a psychologist towards the end of the trip, because at that point, I already had my plans to move on. And the psychologist was like, what do you mean? I've had an OT at this camp for two weeks. And I was like, yep. <laughs> But no one knew I was there, you know, so it was kind of it was frustrating. But it was my first like, real volunteer trip that I was like, hey, I want to do this more like this makes me feel good to do this. And I want to use the skills that I have. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing that you just brought up hearing about the scam. And I've never been a part, at least to my knowledge, um, I haven't been a part of an organization that's been a scam. But I 100% understand being underutilized. Uh, I have been affiliated with organizations that were not prepared to have an occupational therapist. And they didn't understand what we did as a profession, but also what my skill set was in being pediatrics. And it was really frustrating because I would just get labeled as the physical therapist and I would get thrown all of these adult very like ortho cases, which that's just not really my wheelhouse. And it was so frustrating because I had that passion, just what you were saying. I was there. I like boots were on the ground. I was ready to get to work and nobody really knew how to utilize me. And it was really extremely frustrating. And I almost had the exact same thing happen at the end of one of my medical missions. And I was talking with one of the directors and she actually finally took the time to sit down next to me and like ask what I did or what I do, I should say, not what I did for the mission, but what I <laughs> right. do. And she's like, oh, we could have used you in this other capacity if only I would have known. And I was just like, it was frustrating, but I learned that we have to advocate for ourselves and especially for anybody out there that might be doing some volunteer work or looking to go do international volunteer work. You have to let people know what you want to do and what you can do and make sure that like people know that you're there. And I understand in, in your case, like you, you are just trying to make it work with what the, the cards that you were given, but right. yeah, going into it. So it's so important to just advocate for yourself and your skill set to make sure that you can be utilized to the best of your ability. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a lot of what's really nice about Therapists Without Borders, because right now our goal is to take OTs, PTs and speech therapists and students to do volunteer trips. And, you know, we all know what each other does. And I've been talking to the two sites that we're working with, and they have expressed a need for feeding therapists and, you know, speech, which they're really in need of. And just, you know, we all know what we do. And being able to say, well, this is the skill set that these therapists have, and this is what we can send to you. And you can utilize what they actually, you know, the knowledge that they really have. And that's what's really nice about it. And then everybody benefits the, the clients, the kids, the caregivers. Yeah, absolutely. The therapist that's going and they get to feel like they actually are contributing. And even though, even if you went and you were just moving boxes or doing something like that, you're still contributing. But when you have the unique skill set from the lens of an occupational therapist or a physical therapist or speech therapist, and then not being able to contribute in that, in that aspect, in that manner would be really difficult. And 
I've had Lauren on the podcast uh, a couple episodes ago. And when she was explaining the concept, the process of Therapists Without Borders and the responsibility and sustainability and all of that, I was just like, this is, this is so needed because we as OTs have so much to offer, especially uh, internationally and in places that don't have OT or have very limited OT. And I think what you guys are up to with Therapists Without Borders is just so amazing and so needed. Yeah, it's, it's really the idea of creating something sustainable. And that's, I think, what makes the difference. You know, we can go and do these experiences and volunteer, but then you leave and it's like, now what? And I mean, I, I was just in Kenya last week and I'm still, I can't get those children out of my head and the connection that I made with them and how I felt doing therapy with them and actually speaking to the house moms who are the caregivers there and actually talking to them and the staff about what our goal is and what we really want to do and seeing that, you know, it's this dream and it's this idea, but when you actually go and you think that it can be a reality because you see how limited, limited resources that they have and the challenges, uh, the barriers and how, you look at it as almost like, wow, I can do this, you know, um, I can actually make a difference. And through the program, we are doing caregiver training and educating uh, local staff and local caregivers and local therapists. And really with that idea in mind that it's sustainable because we can come in and out as therapists, but they're the ones that are there all the time really doing the work. And if we reach them on that level, then the children can really benefit and the children can really make progress. And that's the whole goal. And, you know, I was, I was actually really nervous to talk to the house moms. Um, you know, you have to be culturally sensitive too. And I don't want to be the American with the fancy education going into a site that already exists and saying like, this is how you should do things. You know, I, I hate that. I never want to be that person. So it was a really big challenge for me to talk to the house moms. So they are, there's 94 children living there and the house moms are the caregivers. They're the ones that are there every day taking care of these children. And to me, I think they're the most important people. And I was nervous and <laughs> I don't usually get nervous. I was nervous to talk to them because I was like, oh, what if they look at me? Like, I'm just trying to tell them what to do or, you know, who am I to go in and be that person, you know? And they actually were, they received it really well and they were really sweet. And it felt really good to know that, you know, the work that we've been putting in from the States really is coming to fruition now and can really actually make a difference and can actually be received so well. And they were very sweet about it. They were very loving. They were, I think they could feel that we were genuine and that we really want to help and that we really want to make a difference and that we see how it's possible if they are willing to work with us. And ugh, all the feels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have to share what's happening because I'm literally just like smiling. And I know you can't yeah. see me and our listeners can't see me. But as you were talking, <laughs> I just had like the biggest smile on my face because, yeah, I, I get it. And I, this is something that I'm so passionate about as well. And it is so cool that there is an organization that is 
like filling this gap that has not been there before and is really, I mean, looking at every single aspect and just trying to make uh, make this organization as as good and and the therapy as good as possible and have just such a immense impact. I I know I know there's going to be so many good things coming out from Therapists yeah. Without Borders. It feels like it. I'm excited. Uh, you know, and just seeing the therapists like you that just come up to the booths like at WFOT and we were just at ASHA in November recruiting speech therapists and just seeing how excited people are. They do like a double take when they walk past the table and, hey, what is this about? You know, mm-hmm. um, but just I seeing totally <laughs> <laughs> exactly that was you. Yeah. But it's so it's nice. You know, it's like the same passion that Lauren had when she came up with this idea is like the same passion that's burning inside of me that other like minded therapists are all thinking, yeah, there isn't something like this that exists that we can say that we can actually make a difference internationally, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, you could do the work here, you can do the work everywhere. And that's true. There's always going to be children that need us. There's always going to be adults, whatever clients that need therapy. That's everywhere, of course, really the international piece for me and what I experienced on this trip was like a whole new level of gratitude that I got from the children and from the staff there where I really just felt so appreciated. And I felt for me also humbled in that it was a learning experience for me to see how children in other countries live, how people live, how, you know, what their local legislation is, what their religious practices are, like how to just be culturally sensitive of things, which I live in New York. I do therapy in New York. I always call myself the United Nations. <laughs> I've always, you know, I've always had clients of all different nationalities, but to actually work in another country and a really developing country that they don't have a lot, you know, and just being creative in how to do therapy and how to work with what we have. And just to see that there's something about that when you don't have unlimited resources, where there's just a whole new level of gratitude. And, you know, it's like, we're pretty spoiled in America, um, which I hate to say that, but it's true. It's like, well, this wheelchair doesn't fit this child. Well, I'm just going to order it through insurance. Or there's like surplus of materials in hospitals and clinics and schools. And I'm in Kenya, looking at these children, basically 30 to 40 children sharing one Lego set and just seeing how, wow, they don't have a whole lot, but yet the smiles on their faces. And I mean, a child said thank you to me in the middle of therapy (laughs) as I fight back tears, you know? (laughs) Well, I was just going to ask, is there like one is there one kid? Is there one instance? Was there one thing that stood out? And maybe it was that kid that just said, thank you. Yeah. So there was this one child who really does stand out in my mind. And we just approached therapy in a different way with him, uh, where his, the physiotherapist that's on the site uh, was just doing things differently with him. And we had a really open and honest conversation about it. And again, being sensitive, you know, I don't want to walk in and tell anybody what to do. But it was a new way to approach the situation. And this child, cerebral palsy, a lot of physical challenges, um, speech production is difficult for him. 
but we actually, you know, I did therapy with him in a way that was very new to him and teaching him how to breathe and how to use his muscles in an active way. And he's really cognitively intact. So being able to communicate with him, to communicate with the actual child and say, we're going to do therapy this way. And this is how we're going to try to fix your wheelchair. Uh, you know, because a lot of these kids are tiny and they have these big wheelchairs that people have donated. And, you know, just being smart and creative about positioning and how to fix some of these things with limited resources. And yeah, in the middle of the session, he said thank you to me. And I just will never forget it. It just will stay with me forever. And, you know, feeling that I made that big of a difference, even if it's just in that one moment with one child, that it's just kind of like, okay, life made. (laughs) I've done my work, you know. That is so powerful. Yeah. And it's like they say, you know, you're there doing this experience on a volunteer basis. But I read a book once. I'm blanking on the title, but this sentence sort of stayed with me that happiness is a currency. So even if you're not getting paid in money, like what are you getting from this experience? And there really hasn't been much in my professional life that have has topped that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not about the paycheck. It's about, wow, I really actually made a difference for this child in this moment. I think that's going to be a tough moment to top. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I feel like every time that I've gone or before as I'm like preparing to go on any sort of international volunteer trip, I I think I'm always thinking about how I'm going to be able to impact other people and and hopefully change their lives and and kind of have have influence over what's going on with them and it's it's really not until I'm there or even when I get back that I realize that I think my experiences there and meeting the children and the families that I work with when I do these trips they ultimately change my life and I think I'm actually changing theirs yeah that was one of my posts on social media and it kept sticking with me. And it's interesting because I don't do this because of what it will do for me, right? Like we're doing it for the clients. We're doing it for the other person. But what you take from it, I feel is way more than I can ever give them. And again, that's not why I'm doing it, but what you get from it and the sense of really feeling like you've made a difference is just everything, you know, it's really the reason for doing it. And yeah, that was one of my posts, you know, I, <laughs> how, however I worded it, like they've done more for me than I can ever do for them, but it's so true. It really is. And I don't know, you know, unless you're there and you're doing it and I know you've done volunteer experiences as well. So you get it. It's like that feeling of you go home and your heart and your soul are just so full. And in a way that few other things can make you feel like that. Everything's changed. It's a new perspective. Oh, yes. Perspectives and just gratefulness, which I think I've always been a grateful person. But, you know, just coming home to life here and saying, well, you know, I am grateful for the things that I have. But I also am grateful that I made a difference for those people and that hopefully through Therapists Without Borders that I can actually continue to make a difference so that. I'm not just laying in bed wondering what happened to those kids. I get to see them again. I get to communicate remotely. I get to send other volunteers there to do the work. And it's nice to know that we can actually create something sustainable and keep up with them and like know what's happening in therapy. 
amazing. It, it's it truly is. It's absolutely amazing. And I've said it before, but I'm I'm so just motivated to see what this organization does and where it goes and and all the good that it's going to bring. I am so thankful for having you come on the show today. This has been one of those talks that you know I I, I get this I get this a lot in my interviews where my guests are talking and I. I'm just speechless afterwards. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> and it's just, it's so touching. It's so moving. And again, it, it goes back to that perspective. And it's just constantly learning and growing and changing and, and learning from each other's stories. And I honestly, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy. And <laughs> yeah. Taking the time to really just sit down and, and tell us a little bit about your story and, and kind of what you're up to. And I want to, I want to finish, and this is what I do with all of my guests. Uh, I have one more question for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In one word, what does occupational therapy mean to you? Hope. That's a good one. I like it. I don't even know where that came from, but I mean it. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's great. I, and I feel like that's so encompassing of our talk. Yeah. Agreed. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, where could they find you? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at the OT movement. So it's the period OT period movement. And yeah, a lot of people have been reaching out to me there. And so I'd love to hear from everyone. Thank you for having me too. And hopefully you'll join us on the flip side on one of our trips. I would love to. We would love to have you. Yeah, well, I will definitely recommend anybody to reach out to you if they're at all interested in getting more information about Therapists Without Borders or just any anything that we've talked about, yoga, meditation, dance, yeah. teaching. Yeah, <laughs> all the of the gamut. things. Yes, everything that I do. Yeah, yes, I would appreciate that. I would love that. All right. Well, thank you again. This has been a pleasure. I'm so glad to have had you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Hey, before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to further the discussion, go to our website, otforlife.com, and join our Facebook group. If you like us, here are three easy ways to let us know. One, share our podcast with a friend, colleague, or anyone interested in occupational therapy. Two, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere this podcast is found. Three, subscribe to us so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks again. We'll catch you next time, OT for Lifers. <laughs> My voice is doing something funky right now. <laughs> it's just like the day of like, nothing's going to go right for us right now. No. And I was doing a little bit of stalking um, <laughs> of you. <laughs> Where are you? Tell I me was. more. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. See, my brain does this to me sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's been too many hours. <laughs> right? Yeah. I know. Too, much, too much on my brain. I tell them, and I've heard this before. I'm sure you have. You never, or no, what is it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry. Excuse me. Nope. <laughs> um. Rewind. Yeah, get, all like, of a sudden feedback. I was like, oh. Yeah, you're like, I can't even think. <laughs> yeah, it's all good though. Yeah. Oh, so sorry. Cool. I could just like talk all day, obviously. <laughs>
I'm like, wow, it's too many things. (laughs) Right. I know. So if people wanted to, sorry. Awesome. Thank you. I was like, wait, uh, shameless plug. 